you know, I don't expect everyone to like walk the length of Africa or traverse countries and, <laughs> and whatnot. You know, um, that's not necessarily, you know, the message that I want to uh, share. The message that I really want to share is to get out, be brave and see the world. You know, just to, um, you'd be surprised how kind people are, especially outside of our own, um, you know, North American kind of space. Because, you know, we are very fear-driven. And so we see the world as that. But that is a complete lie in this, you know. The Life in Motion podcast is brought to you by Actual Outdoors. They help build beautiful brands that highlight the approachable and authentic parts of outdoor recreation. Said simply, they keep it real. Learn more at actualoutdoors.com. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up, and welcome to episode 130 of Life in Motion. I've got Mario Rigby with me, who's made a two-year trek across Africa. He's also an advocate for the inclusion of diversity in the outdoors and encourages people to explore the world in a sustainable way. I'm excited to hear his story and to chat about why all of this is so important. Mario, thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, Jeremy, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Yes, yes, of course. And, you know, as the brief little intro, there's a lot for us to get into, it sounds like. But before we do that, um, let's start with kind of the background story of who you are, where you're from, where you grew up, kind of what what got you so passionate about the outdoors and the um, in- inclusivity side of it and all that kind of stuff. Like, what, what was this whole story leading up to it? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, funny story is that you know, I never really was into the outdoors at all. Um, like I did, I, I loved adventure, but I think maybe the definition of the outdoors was very different for me being raised um, uh, both in Germany and in the Caribbean, you know, in Turks and Caicos Islands, it's a desert um, uh, island. It's like very arid land. And uh, me and my brother, we used to go hiking around all the time. And we didn't call it hiking. We just said, we're going to go out and play. Yeah. And so it's very simple, you know, and we never thought this, this is something that people do. Um, and we would forage fruits. We would climb coconut trees if we wanted, if we felt like hydration. So we would climb trees and, and that would be our hydration. And um, and then, you know, moving to, to Canada in the big city, you know, we were kind of like separated from that. And then we never really thought about doing that kind of stuff ever um, until... I decided one day that I'm going to do, you know, the walk of uh, the, the length of Africa. And so I felt like, okay, well, I need to train for this. And then that's kind of what led me back into the outdoors. In- interesting. So, you know, it sounds like much as a kid was just uh, your experience with the outdoors was simply just being kids, you know, or, you know, going out and, and playing around and, and doing all that. Um, mm-hmm. So, so then I, and I could definitely see how it would be a, um, uh, a change in scenery, of course, you know, moving up, you know, closer to the, a city, Canada, all that kind of stuff. What, I guess during that time, um, in Canada, I guess, you know, kind of leaving the outdoors behind you in a sense, you know, from your childhood, what, like, what was like, Hey, you know what I want to do? I want to trek across Africa. Like what, where did that come from? So, you know, I, I was um, like in my head, my ultimate goal was to compete in the Olympics, to run track and field. And I was very close to it. I was competing for my country at the highest possible level. And 
that didn't end up working out. There was no funding for it. There was like a bunch of injuries that, you know, I couldn't afford to really get back from. So, you know, I felt like I kind of like fell into this, this, uh, this rabbit hole, this um, rabbit hole of, okay, cool. I'm going to stick to the nine to five. And that's, you know, fine for a lot of people. But for me, you know, like you're going from like, I wanted to be uh, an Olympian to like, all right, now I'm going to work at a desk job. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that didn't, that didn't really work out for me. I started doing uh, personal training and then eventually I started uh, my own gym, uh, a studio in downtown Toronto. And um, that wasn't fulfilling either. And so I thought to myself, like, you know, why am I being so upset? What is what is going on? I have everything that I could possibly want or need. But I think what was really missing was like that drive to push myself to the limit, to challenge myself. And I spent the whole year, I remember that year, it was a really depressing year. Um, I spent that whole year trying to figure out what it is that I really want in life and how do I attain it. And so I started like researching, looking up things, and everything always led back somehow to adventure. It led to finding really epic places around the world um, that you would find on, you know, Nat Geo magazines. And I was like, I 100% want to be that person. I want to be that person to go to these really remote, unique places that have wonderful stories. And I want to be entrenched in them. And then I want to share those stories with other people so that they can also be inspired yeah that's that's all it's it's uh you know it's 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 good to, that you had the whole um oh what am i trying to say the the mindset and the understanding of, of yourself and like who you were like hey you know i'm uh you know i need that drive i need that challenge you know from going from the olympics uh to uh you know nine to five stuff and then having your own place but to, hey there's something missing i got to figure this out mm. what so 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 when you kind of um you know had that realization you're like hey you know adventure is that thing was right. were there like trips or stuff that that happened before like because you know like traveling somewhere else is you know that's that's a, a nice a nice thing to do but then mm. you say, "Hey, I'm going to hike across that." So, so was there, I guess I want to ask: Are there baby steps that led up to that? There were a couple of baby steps. So, my first, um, I would say, baby step was to actually hike from uh, Toronto to Hamilton, which is, you know, the next biggest, the uh, two large, I think, two of the largest cities in in Ontario, Canada, and um, that's a what was that? That was a um, roughly 60 kilometer, um, uh, hike. So it was pretty far. Yeah. Um, and I spent pretty much almost, uh, like I spent an entire day from like super early morning until super late walking that distance. And, um, I did it with having no prior experience. That was literally the first time I have ever hiked on my own before. The first time I ever had a large backpack. I just put some heavy stuff in it. Like I remember like putting pots and pans and whatnot inside. <laughs> like, I, I just went all out and I was wearing Converse shoes. So, you know, like they, <laughs> they got broken in pretty quick. Yeah. And I remember having like muscle spasm. It was just bad. It was really, really bad. Um, there's a lot of shaping um, in the thighs because, you know, rubbing. I was wearing the wrong underwear. Like just all this kind of stuff um, happened. And then the second one was, 
I did a um, a walk from Toronto to um, Montreal, which was like you know the the largest city in, in Quebec, and so I walked from there to there, and that took me fourteen days. It was roughly five hundred something, five hundred fifty plus kilometers, and um, so I did that one, and that was pretty intense. There were times where you know I was definitely like, "Whoa, this is intense," <laughs> and I had a I had a friend who joined me, and she she was the one who suggested that I do this. Um, we were friends through the fitness industry, and she's a speed uh, speed walking conditioning coach. So she does these like ultra marathon speed walking competitions and trains people to do those things. And so she suggested that I I practice with her so that she can overtrain me, so that by the time I get to Africa, that you know I'd be able to to understand my limits in terms of uh you know physical distance how fast i can move and all these things and she really did like push me hard so she spent um i think four or five days with me on the road and then i i did the rest on my own and you know it was really cool to have this kind of this coach um uh, donna foster she you know she helped me out and it was really good to go through a lot of those like over distances like we did some massive distances that sometimes i think like the longest one took us about 18 18 hours wow. long just to walk that entire day and i remember i was bleeding because you know the shaping happened again i was bleeding th through my thighs i was wearing the wrong shoes it was just really like intense um so those are literally the only two things that i've done prior to going to africa and that, <laughs> <laughs> and that was all within a few months Really? So, so with that, I mean, well, I guess with those two uh, hikes, you know, and kind of getting progressively uh, longer in the distance, you know, as you mentioned, you know, not wearing the wrong shoes, wrong, wrong pants, wrong underwear, too heavy a pack, that kind of stuff. I guess what, what was it about it? Like, even though you could sort of tie that to a negative experience, what, what was it about it that you're like, Hey, you know what, I'm still going to do this Africa thing. Like, that you were just like, oh man, you know, hiking with all this stuff isn't for me. Like, what? I guess what, what was the motivation there when it was when it seemed like a such a challenge? I guess I've already committed myself to to doing this, and one of the reasons why I think I was so driven to do this was because I said to myself, "This is something I need to do that I can't back out of. Um, I needed to prove to my own self that I can see it through from beginning to end." And um, it did scare me, the Toronto to Montreal walk, <laughs> how <laughs> incredibly tough it was. It scared me for sure. But, you know, for me, just because I'm in pain and things like that, that doesn't stop me. Like I used to run track and field and I, I competed in the 400 meters, which is actually considered one of the toughest races in track and field. You know, um, a lot of people would, you know, agree to that, you know, between that and the 800 meters. And so I was used to being in pain every single day to um, finally get to the competition. And then, you know, you're not in as much pain. You just do your race. So for me, I kind of felt like that's what that was. I felt like yeah. Montreal was like, okay, I'm going to go through a lot of pain because I'm training. And then by the time I get to Africa, I probably wouldn't be doing these big distances, but I'll definitely... Um, be in shape to 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 um, to walk uh, every single day. Yeah, no, I guess that makes sense, and, and definitely where um, 
uh, obviously a, a person of your word when it comes to, you know, having your mindset on something, but also, you know, having that, that the background of, um, the track and field to, you know, you're, you're kind of already conditioned to, uh, to kind of work towards stuff in that sense. Um, so, so you did, um, you know, the first two hikes, you know, not too far apart from each other after the last one, um, how long was it until you actually, um, you know, went out and, and started the, the real trek. And then also to, to that point, I, I guess probably this might be part of the same conversation, but when you were planning that out, like how did you plan where to start, where to go? Was it kind of free? Was it more set? Obviously it was over uh, a couple of years, but what, what did that whole, I guess, pre-planning process besides just, you know, the physical aspect of it was? I'm not going to lie. There was not a lot of pre-planning <laughs> every single day. Um, so what I kind of, what I really did was, you know, the larger plan obviously was Cape Town to Cairo from South Africa to Egypt. That's the, that's the, the big plan, right? So, um, you don't go too, too much into details other than the fact that this is the road roughly that I'll be taking. And this is roughly how long it'll take me to get there. And this is how much money I need. Da, 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 da. So, but not too specific. Like, I'm not going to be like. You know, at 2 p.m., I'm going to arrive in you know, yeah, yeah. Egypt or something like that across the border um, because there's so many variables that, uh, you know, when you're doing such an expedition that can change. Like, you don't know, like, you know, the po political changes um, in Africa could happen overnight. Um, that happened in Sudan. That happened in uh, where else did that happen in, in Kenya? You know, they had one of their first democratic uh, elections. So that was. That was really intense. Yeah. Uh, and then there's like Mozambique. They're having um, a sort of kind of civil war between the rebel factions in the north and the government in the south. And they're blocking off, um, you know, resources. So some villages are not getting any food and, and whatnot. And so I was in the middle of all of that, you know. <laughs> and so if you, if you have a concrete plan, you know, uh, going into such an expedition, you, I don't think you would make it. Yeah, so, yeah. So I had more detailed um, planning done for uh, weeks or a couple months or a few months ahead. So the closer to date, the more details there would be. And I found that, that to be like a really uh, a system that worked out really well for me because then I could just kind of like vaguely understand where I'm going to be five months from now. And um, but a week from now, I can tell you in detail that I'm going to arrive at this place at 2.35 p.m. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, there there are definitely a, a couple more uh, variables to, to consider um, with, with doing a hike across an entire country versus, uh, you mm -hmm. know, a, a through hike on the Appalachian Trail or anything like that. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I guess that, that's that's definitely an interesting point. So so when you uh, when you got there, um, and started off like you know obviously it's a long journey so i'm sure there are lots of stories along the way but what like as what were some of the um i guess the over overview of like how how the journey went what were some of the things you learned um obviously meeting different people um and and different ideas and that kind of stuff like what what was kind of the that whole journey um the journey of like, yeah, the, the meeting of, of people. So it, it changed, you know, again, you're going, you're going through, I must have gone through at least over 150 plus uh, different cultures and tribes. 
languages. Um, I heard I had to learn like just the 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 introductions of languages. I think of like fifteen of them. So wow. you know, like I had to I had to understand like basic Portuguese when I was in Mozambique. Um, you know, uh, Afrikaans in 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 South Africa. But then, you know, you get to Zulu Nation, for instance, and just starting to speak click. And I'm like, all right, that's <laughs> that's way too far. All I know was how to say cosa, um, you know, when you click and say the word at the same time, which was like took me forever to learn. Um, so, I, you know, I understood a couple of words in cosa, but that's about it. And, you know, people have different perspectives. Like I remember in, in South Africa, you know, people would be maybe more apprehensive to to approach me in um, the the uh, Eastern Cape, uh, sorry, the Western Cape. And then in the Eastern Cape, which you have more of the Zulu tribe people, you know, they were more keen to approach me and bring me into their homes. They're coming from a warrior tribe. And then the other tribe is, is not necessarily really a warrior tribe. And so, you know, depending on what the tribe is, the history of that, of that country or the village, you get different um, interactions with people, and I think as a as a as a visitor, as someone who's going through those places, you have to be incredibly malleable. Yeah, you can't. Whatever you had learned, um, even a day before, you got to get that out of your head and just be like, these are completely different new groups of people, um, and they have different values, different everything. And so, um, but there is a commonality. I would say in most of Eastern Africa, and that was that um, philosophy of Ubuntu, which is um, an all for one and one for all philosophy in the sense that they are a sharing community where, you know, I hardly saw homeless people because if you're suffering or if you're struggling, then your neighbor, your family, or even a complete stranger will help pick you up so that you can get going because they believe that if they help that one person, then then that person is going to contribute back into the community. And then that's going to come back to them somehow, you know, and that, and that was like a really important lesson. I think that was like kind of the first culture shock experiences that I, I witnessed um, as soon as I left South Africa and started uh, traveling along East Eastern Africa from Mozambique up until um, Tanzania. That's, that's interesting. And, you know, <laughs> you, you kind of wish it would be like that everywhere, right? Uh, that, that kind <laughs> of uh, um, yeah. uh, fellowship in that sense. But it, it's, yeah, because I mean, that's like one of those things, like even if, you know, you, you know, you read about it somewhere or an article or something like, I feel like that's one of those things that you don't fully understand you know, you may be, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, right. They do that, right? But until you're actually there, that you actually understand, oh, yeah. hey, this is actually how they are, which is which is awesome and probably gratifying when you come back home and and have those different experiences with others and how how you think about uh, things and encourage others to do the the same as well. So, yeah, and and I think that's the the takeaway is. You know, um, and I think that's that's why I'm into the work that I'm doing right now, because, you know, a lot of these people, they've taught me such an um, invaluable lesson of of um, humanity, of how we can come together and and work to better ourselves and better uh, humanity. And I think this is very important. I think this is a key to 
our longevity. I think, um, you know, in the Western world, which where I was raised, um, it's not a sustainable um, way of being where we, uh, you know, uh, endlessly consume and kind of walk over each other. You know, and, and you know that's kind of what I did. You know, I had a reverse culture shock when I came back home to Toronto, and I saw homeless people sleeping on the ground in the freezing cold, and I'm I literally had to walk over them, and I thought to myself, "There's absolutely no way these people could even comprehend that. Yeah. They wouldn't even be able to. They can't imagine that. They're like, like I remember I told people like, yeah, there's homeless people all around." And they're like, what do you mean they're homeless? You, you mean they have a home that is different from other homes? No, they don't have a home. <laughs> you know, so they, but they just couldn't, they couldn't get it. A lot of people in, in remote villages, they couldn't understand that. Yeah, that's, uh, no, that's definitely, definitely eye opening. And then, yeah, when kind of that reverse culture, culture shock, as you mentioned, um, you know, makes, makes sense as well. So, you know, as you know, obviously some, some important lessons, um, I guess, or, or values and different things that you learned along the way, what, uh, to, b- before we kind of jump into the next topic, what, what was kind of your favorite experience there? Um, you know, during, during that too, and I'm sure there are a ton. So if you, if you had to pick one, um, your favorite, just kind of overall experience. And then also what were the feelings that you had after, um, you know, once, once you got to the end and, and the trip and the journey was over, you know, when you, uh, compete in a, in an ultra marathon, you know, you have to, like at the beginning, it's the hardest. And at the end, it's the hardest. And the reason for that is because, you know, at the beginning, your, your body's like not used to that constant, uh, running the motion. And then eventually your body warms up into it if you allow it to. And then you get into this rhythm. If you, if you focus on your breathing or, you know, your, your technique and just like your flow in your, in your mind. And then, you know, that's how I eventually I started to feel because it was an ultra marathon that I did essentially. Yeah. Um, that took over two and a half years. And then at the end, when you complete a marathon, it's such a surreal feeling because you're super exhausted <laughs> you're you know you're uh, driven with other, all kinds of emotions you're like oh my god i can't believe i actually finished it um and some some athletes they fall to the ground some you know pray some like you know but at the end of the day it's just it's kind of like euphoric feeling but you also feel strange because your body thinks it wants to keep going uh, yeah right so you got this like kind of this ghost feeling of your legs wanting to continue to run. And so that's kind of how I felt, but it wasn't necessarily walking. It was more about the experiences that I, that I, um, that I had throughout Africa, like the waking up early in the morning and absolutely not knowing what's going to happen the next day. <laughs> um, you know, every single day, imagine that. And, you know, and, and then all kinds of insane and incredible things happening to you meeting incredible people so all of that all of a sudden stopped and so you know that that i would say i felt a sense of um it was a bit sad it was uh i felt um like i wanted more i wanted to continue and i think that's probably why i'm continuing to do what i'm doing now because i'm looking for that continue continuation of that adventure and the momentum hasn't really stopped yet 
So, so you mentioned kind of having that uh, continuing feeling like you wanted to keep going uh, after, you know, such a long journey. Um, what, what was that continuation? What did that look like for you? Like what, I guess, what, what fulfilled that need? I think I, uh, I saw that, you know, what, what I learned in the West, you know, being uh, Germany, uh, the, even the Caribbean and, and Canada, um, that there's such, like, there's so much more in this world and there are many different ways to live life. And, um, you know, I, I, I never understood why we're, why we're limited to only one way of living in, in, in terms of like, as a community, how we um, care for each other and care for the planet. And I first, you know, I saw firsthand you know, climate crisis happening in places like Malawi, where they are really experiencing the full effects of, of, of the climate change, you know, because we are the number one producers of CO2 emissions um, in the West, like in Europe, North America, um, and, 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 you know, China and India and nowadays as well. But we have been the number one producers of CO2 emissions in the air. And we're not really getting the full effects of that. It's other places like Malawi, which according to the United Nations um, is, uh, sorry, uh, according to the World Bank, is considered one of the poorest countries in the world. At one point, it was the, um, considered the poorest country in the world. And I got to see how people are coping with that. And it was, it was really heartbreaking. Um, it's not their fault. And a lot of the people don't even know what's going on. And so when you see that and you have to walk through it, you know, when I walk through or when I, sorry, kayak the length of uh, Lake Malawi, which is uh, Lake Nyasa in Malawi, I probably lost around 25 to 30 pounds. And that was because I just, even if you have money, it doesn't matter. You just don't have access to oh. these kinds of resources. Like it was, it was like, you know, that was one of the most shocking things. I was like, oh, I, li I just can't get fresh uh, fruits, can't get fresh vegetables or fresh meat. I was only eating like cichlids and um, this maize kind of food. And that, that was it. Um, same thing in, in parts of Mozambique. I, I couldn't eat, eat any food because, you know, the, the rebel uh, soldiers up north had, uh, uh, you know, disconnected the supply of food from, from the south and the north. So there, you know, so there's these challenges, but that was different. That's just more like a, um, you know, resource uh, problem due to conflict. But in Malawi, it was based on, um, on climate change. And you could see there was this mountain called Mount Malunji, which is the first mountain I've ever climbed, um, you know, above uh, 2,000 meters. And when you see it, like the bottom part of it is all like basically the trees have been cut down. And that's because the only crops they can really grow are these like really um, heavy duty crops like maize that can be grown um, in, in, in these arid conditions. And so they're like experiencing uh, drought at a very drastic level. However, they have to cut down more trees to create more fire to cook this particular food. Huh. You know, and that to me, it was just like, wow, this is like a whole, it's like a whole circle of things happening, like, you know, um, 
And I thought, you know, there is something I can do about it. I can record this. I can talk about this. I can make stories of, of, of places around the world that, that are going through these things that don't necessarily have the, the outreach power, or the PR to, 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 to share their message. Yeah. That, and that's interesting too. Um, because, you know, to be honest, not something I really thought about, you know, you know, usually I feel like if you think about, um, you know, not having food or anything like that, you, you think of more of a, um, you know, you don't have the, the resources to purchase it or trade for it or, or whatnot, but actually just not having it at all, um, no matter what you have is, is a pretty, um, a pretty kind of heavy thought, you know, so, uh, so, so I guess, you know, in, and seeing, and seeing that and understanding that into your point, you know, you know, people in the area, you know, they might not, not have the outreach to, to raise that awareness of saying, Hey, you know, cause if you're in the States, for example, when you talk about, you know, uh, the climate crisis and all that stuff, and you know, you look around here and you're like, Oh, I mean, every, everything looks fine. What, what do you mean? Right. Um, but it's, it's the places that, you know, to our kind of our, our own ing- ignorance that we don't think about and, and don't realize the full effect. So I guess, so how have, how have you used kind of your, um, your outlet and your voice and whatnot to kind of help, help raise awareness for, for these kind of issues, especially from, uh, what seems to be like a unique, you know, firsthand experience. To continue um, going to these places and, and and sharing compelling stories. I mean, this is what I do, and this is what I love doing. I, I probably don't see myself doing anything other than that, which is to explore, to find, um, you know, what's really happening in these in these places around the world, and encouraging people to to care about planet Earth and and humanity and and the animals, stuff, the you know, the the fauna and flora flora and fauna that that lives on on earth i think we need to um care more and we live in a culture that really encourages us to actually care less and uh care for more of ourselves and i feel like it's actually quite therapeutic i think you can you can uh probably you know get rid of a lot of therapy and you can get rid of a lot of self-help if you just go out and uh, explore the world and you know be uh like well i was gonna be grateful have have um, this this mindset of gratefulness that you know that we're in this delicate ecosystem and you're a part of it and you know if you can dance through it really well then that will help other people as well um but we live in an individualistic society that isolates us from this kind of um, appreciation of of how everything is interconnected because we've disconnected ourselves and i think that leads to a lot of uh, mental health problems physical health problems because people are not being active and um so like you know like there's just there's like literally so many benefits of encouraging people to go to these places to explore and to care for uh planet planet yeah no no that's a good point and you know kind of that um uh, a lot of things get get taken for granted obviously um with with what what you have um and those and you're right those experiences kind of do open up um open up the world or your eyes to kind of what's going on um 
I, I haven't personally traveled to any of those areas, but I have traveled across Europe, um, some, some, and, you know, obviously noticing, uh, you know, still, still difference differences between, uh, the U S and that, and, and just some of the different countries I went and it does help, um, bring, bring things into perspective in that sense. So, um, so I guess, is that, um, as I guess, I guess what, what are the, so does that just kind of look like, just like, like bouncing around these different places, meeting these different people there and then, and then sharing your story out online and, and other resources or, or what it, it is. Can, yeah, it can look different ways. Um, it's, it's uh, so what I really like to uh, push is the social and environmental injustices. And I do it through the form of exploration. And sometimes that means, you know, going to indigenous cultures or, um, or in nature where it can be completely remote and nobody lives there, um, or no one dares to, 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 you know, traverse these lands. But I think there's always important stories to share when you do that. And I think by exploring, I have this kind of like firsthand experience of going to these places and, um, and being able to document it and um, and share that with people. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, so I guess to that point, where's where's the, where's the next place you're you're headed? Ah, uh, why that is <laughs> that is the million dollar question. There are so many <laughs> different places. Um, I was supposed to actually go to Hawaii on the thirteenth, so I'm crossing fingers that that would work out. I'm doing some work with um, with Apple there. And, um, you know, if it works out, then hopefully, you know, that would be the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because if I say it now and it happens on the 13th and, and people listen to this on the 13th, then hopefully I'll be there. And, you know, we're doing a bunch of, um, you know, adventure and trying to, like, uh, figure out how, like, uh, well, I can't really talk too much about it. But Hawaii is my my next stop. and um, I definitely look forward to going to Antarctica. That's another step that I'm doing. And a lot of the things that I go to as well can be super last minute. So I don't know. I could be going to Jordan in a couple of weeks or I could be going to Egypt or East Africa It's or Europe. You know, like it's just a constant <laughs> because there's so many different places that I'm going to and it's like constantly shuffling depending on what am I um, capable of doing based on timing and resources, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, and I'm also working on a, on a TV show that, um, will hopefully be coming out by end of this year. Oh, sorry. End of next year. And this show is about going around in the world, uh, on crazy adventures and really, um, uh, having people of inclusion. Uh, lead the way on these expeditions. And so we give an opportunity and a platform for people of color, uh, including women as well, to just like, you know, uh, showcase their skills and talents. That, that's awesome. Is that going to be, um, or how, how is that going to be aired? It'll be aired on one of the larger networks. Um, okay. But yeah, at the moment, that that's all I can say. There's like a lot of <laughs> secret stuff. <laughs> so totally too much, yeah. To to be continued. That that's awesome though. That sounds like a, a really unique uh, experience, and obviously with a um, uh, a very good reason behind it, um, and kind of mission mission behind that. So, 
Um, yeah. I'll definitely be keeping my eyes out for that. Oh, so, definitely. I mean, we have a very <laughs> strong, strong team behind us. Um, like these guys are, they've done like documentaries that are like number one documentaries in the world. So uh, we got a very strong team that are brave. They're courageous. So they're willing to go to places that not a lot of other people will be willing to go to. That uh, well, that that's awesome. You know, get those get those experiences and um, definitely some unique adventures. So, mm-hmm. so so one thing I uh, always like to ask our guests is kind of one piece of advice um, for our listeners, and obviously, you know, uh, kind of going back to you know all the experiences that you've had um, and kind of the um, open mindness that you had during those experiences as well. And then going back to kind of what you're doing now with trying to, you know, share, share with others, you know, what else is out there and how, how different things are affecting people and how other people interact with people and, and just all of those things. How, I guess, what, what would you tell to kind of the average person to like, what would your suggestion be for them to get out of sort of, you know, probably what you would call a comfort zone to, to visit visit places that are eye opening, you know, it's not necessarily the the nice uh, uh, or, or you know the the popular you know beach paradise or you know whatever they think about when it's travel, you know, something a little more real where you still get a, a great experience as well. But I guess what what would your advice be to help people open their eyes in that sense? I mean, you know, I don't expect everyone to like walk the length of Africa or first countries. And- <laughs> and what you know um that's not necessarily you know the message that i want to uh, share the message that i really want to share is to get out be brave and see the world you know just to um you'd be surprised at how kind people are especially outside of our own um you know north american kind of space because you know we are very fear driven and so we see the world as that but that is a complete lie in this you know I don't know anyone that's gone to Africa and come back and be like, you know, this place sucks. <laughs> it's it's just the because there's so much love there. Yes, there are um, some bad things happening, um, you know, and a lot of these things that, that are happening has nothing to do with the people. It's it's usually um, geopolitical, economic type stuff, um, and and resource extractions and, and all these things. You can get into it deeper, but. The people there are just so incredibly kind. Like people in Iran are some of the sweetest people on the planet, and um, we've we've de- deemed them as like poor, uneducated, um, almost savages, terrorists, and whatnot. But you know, a lot of like these people just they don't want to be those things. They want to be kind, and when you go there, you'll be invited with open arms. I don't know if I would be invited with open arms in my own city in Toronto. You know, I think people would be like, oh, no, I can't take the stranger in. I don't know you. They don't have that in their blood over there. They just they don't have that. They look at you and they assess you on the spot. It's just like you seem like a good person. Um, Or if you're if you're in trouble and you need help, they do that without question. And so I encourage people to just, you know, as I said before, to get out, just be brave and and really explore the world for what it is, not for what you see on TV. Yeah, no, no, that's great. And that, 
you know, that's some really good points there because there are some unfortunate um, stereotypes and perceptions about obviously different places in the world, different people in the world, what, you know, what they look like. Um, but also even if you're looking at, you know, um, their economic status, for instance, uh, to your point, that all goes out the window because I'm sure there there are people that um, really, you know, don't don't aren't in the best circumstance in some of those places. But I bet they're a hundred times mil- or happier than, you know, the the CEO that's at the top skyline building, you know, running <laughs> running the million dollar business, you know, and I think I there yeah. was actually, there was actually, um, uh, I was in a village, I was in a, a town actually in, in Mozambique, you know, and I, and I thought like, oh, you know, I have this education from Western, so I can like give some really good business advice. And I told this guy, I'm like, hey, like, what if you do this? And, you know, he sat me down and he looked at me and said, Mario, these people, they don't want to be like you. <laughs> you're coming to our country and you're looking so sad and always like, the rabbit that's moving. <laughs> Why we want this? We are happy, you know. Like they're like they're so at peace with where they are. As long as they have um, a food that they can grow in their backyards, as long as they have their home that's like traditionally the way they want it to be, and as long as they have their friends and family around, they are extremely happy. They don't need the more. They would not sacrifice happiness which means that sometimes it needs to grow and build um, at the cost of happiness. They would not do that. Yeah. Yeah. I know those, those are, those are great points and something that, like I said, unfortunately gets, gets overlooked and, and out of um, perspective, but I'm glad you're, you're out there sharing these different perspectives and and doing all that. So to that point, where, where can people find you online? Um, so, you know, they, they see what you're up to, where you're up to next. And of course, uh, when the show comes out, they'll, they'll know all about the details with that. Yeah, no, I'm totally excited for the show to come on. And I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be very uh, in-depth and adventurous uh, series. Uh, but you can find me on Instagram. I'm, I'm quite active on Instagram. Um, I just finished the Crossing Canada in an electric car from uh, East Coast to West Coast and back. Uh, so you can actually find that adventure there now. I um, I also do YouTube and uh, my website and everything is just my first and last name, which is Mario Rigby. Awesome. Well, everyone, definitely make sure you uh, check them out, see what's going on um, and get, in, get inspired for yourself um, to, to go out there and explore the world, uh, you know, as mentioned. But I wish you uh, the best of luck in your next adventure slash adventures, uh, you know, wherever you land next. Um, and I'm definitely looking forward to watching that journey continue to grow. Thank you so much, uh, Jeremy. I really appreciate this, uh, this interview with you. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.